Well, I'm very excited to uh, be able to share with you guys today the story. Uh, was already introduced to the children. Daniel in the lion's den, probably one of the most famous Bible stories, um, you know, probably among the top 10 most famous Bible stories. People who don't adhere to the teachings of Christ or have much regard for the Bible kind of know something of this story. It's almost entered into the folklore realm of storytelling. But um, as interesting as that is, a lot of times we, a lot of times I have met people that haven't actually read it uh, for themselves right out of the book of Daniel to see all the critical details involved with this amazing story. As uh, Shannon said earlier, we are in the middle of the series, It'll Be All Right, which is a very strange title for a a series about people who have been kicked out of their home country, who are under foreign power, who don't care anything about their God, their family, or their culture. But we called the series, It'll Be All Right, Because God is sovereign over every kingdom of the earth, and he just beautifully interrupts the story, as we've seen all the way through um, uh, Jeremiah and and, and Daniel and all the places that we've been studying. And uh, I'm really excited to talk to you today about Daniel. Uh, And in fact, if I could sum up the story of Daniel in one sentence, I I would say it's this sentence. Daniel was a man who did what he could do. And that's just about as profound as it gets. Daniel was a man who did what he could do. There's a whole lot in life that we can't do anything about. And that's why we get all depressed. My kids call it living on Depressamy Street. Watch the news or having your little news feed come into your phone. Hearing about the pressures in our day. It can become overwhelming because there's just so much we can't do anything about. And we're aware of that. We're aware of our finite frailness, that we're bound by flesh and we're stuck to gravity, unlike Superman. And I did see that movie last night. It was very good. So I recommend that. Because you can fly. And we want to. We want to do that. We want to just sprout wings and fly sometimes. We want to get above all that binds us because there's just a lot, a lot about this earth that we just can't do anything about. Daniel couldn't do anything about where he was living or or the times that he found himself in, whoever happened to be king or the rule that he found himself under. But there was a little pile of things that Daniel could do. And Daniel did what he could do. And in those little pile of things that Daniel could do, opened up a door for God to do what he could do. Oh, it is such a great story. It's such a great partnership of littleness and bigness. And when littleness does what it can do, and then God and his bigness gets to do what he can do. And so we're going to set up the story, and I'm just going to read it right to you, right out of Daniel 6. I happen to read the NIV. My dad gave me this Bible when I was like 14 years old, and it's been rebound like four times, and I love it. So I'm just going to read to you right out of my favorite book, Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 100 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. Stop. What's a satrap? 
That's a funny word. <laughs> it's one of those funny Bible words that you just kind of go blow over. Well, all of my history students, what is a decentralized kingdom? Anybody remember? Yeah, decentralized basically means that a king has a whole bunch of land that he has to govern. So he gives a little bit of his power, governing power, to a whole bunch of uh, leaders. And he called them satraps. I don't know why. It's a funny name. He called them satraps. And he, he had 120 of them. And they had, they're like little mares. Little mares. That's our word for a little bit of power over a little bit of place, right? And then they're all in submission to the king. Well, there were 120 of those satraps. So he had to have somebody help him rule over all those satraps. So he put three administrators over them. So 120 satraps and three administrators, one of whom was Daniel. So one of the three administrators over the entire kingdom was Daniel. Why is that interesting? Where's Daniel from? Is he from Babylon? No, he's a Hebrew. And yet he finds himself in an incredible position of power, and King Darius has put him as one of the three leaders over the whole kingdom. It says that the satraps were accountable to them so that the kings might not suffer loss. Now... Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities, which they do not define, and I wish they did. But he was so set apart that the king planned to set Daniel over the whole kingdom. Wowie zowie zonkers. So here's this Hebrew in a foreign land, sort of at the end of his days, and the king is not only making him one of three in power, but he's about to promote him to power over the whole kingdom. Crazy, crazy power and promotion. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Stop. Fast forward to the time period of our lives. And we're in a political campaign, a political year. What type of... Rhetoric are we hearing on the TV, the radio, internet about political leaders? Do we not hear most of the talk about how disqualified and negligent my opponent is? Don't we hear most of the politic politicians talking about how bad that guy or that girl is? And how I'm far better candidate. And not only are they bad, but there's scandal in their life. We found it. We dug it up. They did this wrong and this wrong, and they voted this on this. They were negligent. They didn't pay attention. They didn't dot the I's. They didn't cross the T's. We pulled the curtain back of their life, and we found skeletons. And we're now going to expose them. This is the culture that we know. That is so common to us, it doesn't even cause us to raise an eyebrow anymore. We, we get the whole looking for the dirt on each other. 
Well, that's not a new idea. Satraps and administrators were doing it thousands of years ago when Daniel was about to get a promotion, and they were not going to have none of that. No Hebrew is going to rule over us. And so they started digging. There were 122 of them digging. How many people would it take to dig in your life to find us something? Pretty intimidating stuff. He's already a lonely guy in a foreign land, and now he's got 122 guys trying to dig and find dirt on his life, tearing back every curtain, looking back through all of his decisions and all of his records, and they couldn't find anything. Wowie, wow, wow. Daniel was a man who did what he could do. Man, there's a whole lot that wasn't in his power, like where he lived and what position he had to serve in. But he dotted the I's, he crossed the T's, he wasn't negligent, he wasn't corrupt, he got the job done, and the king loved him. The king loves a man who is faithful. He loved him so much, he was about to give him power over the whole kingdom. Now we understand a little of why the king wanted to put Daniel in charge of everything, because you give it to Daniel and it will be done. It will be done well. It will be done on time. Daniel says his yes is yes. His no is no. A king loves and values a man like that. And he was about to be promoted. And they dug and they dug and they couldn't find anything on him. You know, recently the movie uh, The Great and Powerful Oz, I think is what it was called, just came out. I don't know if any of you all saw it. Don't bother if you didn't. It really wasn't that good. I didn't think. I didn't mean for today to be like a movie promotion, but is a little bit. But The Great and Powerful Oz, it's a story about how did he become the man behind the curtain. And the, that movie has sort of entered into our terminology now. We talk about, oh, you look so great and puffed up. You look so great and powerful, Oz, but you're really just a man behind the curtain pulling the buttons, making yourself appear larger than you are. Well, I think Daniel's life impacts me so much because Daniel was a man who had no secrets. Just sit there for a second. Daniel was a man who had no secrets. Pull open any curtain you want. Look as long as you want to. Daniel was a man who had no secrets. Daniel was a man who did what he could do. And I have really thought about Daniel a lot. All throughout the years of ministry, I think about Daniel all the time. I promise he comes to my mind all the time. Diligence. Do it hard. Do it all. Finish it. Seal it tight. Keep it in order. Work hard. Dot the I's and cross the T's. Sometimes I sense the threat of the darkness or the enemy, and I think of Daniel. Button it up. Seal it tight. Do the job. Don't be lazy. 
Get up, finish it, work hard. No secrets. No secrets. There anything going on in my life that can't be in front of my children and in front of my church and in front of my God? No secrets. Dig. Live bare. Live exposed. Live available. There is no curtain. It's a very different way to live than our culture teaches us to live. Hidden, fearful, exposed, cut the corner, cheat, don't let them know. No one will find out. Daniel didn't live that way, and it's a good thing he didn't because 122 men came digging right at the moment of one of the greatest promotions of his life. But they couldn't find anything. And so they had to come up with something. They had to set a trap. So, verse 6, the administrators and satraps got this idea, and they went as a group to the king, and here's what they said. O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws, which cannot be annulled. And all it says in verse 9 is this, so King Darius put the decree in writing. These are the woman moments in me where I'm like, details, like why? What just happened there? I'll tell you what happened. King Darius was taken a fool. He was seduced, 100% seduced. He sat there on his throne and he let his head get all puffed up and exalted while all his administrators and his satraps and his governors all came in and said, you're the best, O king. Nobody's like you, O king. We think you are so cool that nobody should pray to anybody but you. And instead of the king saying, what are you saying? You want to pray to me? You want the whole kingdom to pray to me? What do you think, I'm a god? Like I can do something, like I can answer your prayers? That would have been the words of a man that was sane. But instead, he kind of believed them. And he kind of he went with it. Oh, you think I'm so great. You, you think I'm wonderful. You think I'm so good that for 30 days, everybody's going to pray to me. And he fell into the trap because of his own pride. He was seduced, but his character did not protect him. He walked right into the trap, put his head into the noose, and they cinched it tight, and they had him, and he signed his name. Nobody's going to pray to anybody but me for 30 days because I'm wonderful. Call me Mr. Wonderful. And I don't know what it was like when he went home that night to tell his wife about what had happened at work that day. Oh, honey, when you go to bed tonight, just want you to know, nobody's praying to anybody but me for the next 30 days. And you know how well she would have taken that. Yeah, I know how powerful you are. Here's a part of the story I just love. So 
the way I imagine it in my mind's eye, I don't know how it happened, but I see those administrators and sat traps busting out of that king's chamber, so excited. And this was well before the days of Printville and Kinko. So they had to write that edict over and over and over and over and over again. And they're on their ponies and their donkeys and they're barreling through the towns all to the whole kingdom. They're going up to every tree. Bake, 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 Nailing this thing everywhere as fast as they can. Lightning's coming off of those hammers, trying to get that edict up. And then they all gather together and they say, we're going to meet back at Daniel's Corner. Meet back at Daniel's corner. So Daniel's just on his way home from work in the way I imagine it. You know, maybe his arm's full of scrolls from his day, and he's got to go home and finish up a couple things. And right when he's turning the corner to go back to his house, he sees a tree with a new something on it, and it grabs his attention, and he walks up to read the new something. No one in the whole kingdom for 30 days is allowed to pray to any king except for King Darius. The Bible doesn't say that he said this, but it almost does. That after he read the edict, he went, I need to go home and pray about that. (laughs) Because exactly what it says, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem and three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Miss Sue brought this out to the children, and I want to say it again, just as he had done before. Another really famous Bible story is the story of Job. A lot of people talk about him that don't really believe the word is true or adhere to the teachings, but they'll talk about the man named Job and how fascinating it was that the first sentence that came out of his mouth after everything had been taken away from him were these words, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, May the name of the Lord be praised. Scriptures doesn't say this, but can I submit to you that it's possible Job had said that before? That wasn't the first time he ever said it. The Lord is given. The Lord is taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Is it possible that that's the way Job lived? Just as he had done before? That's what I want to submit to you is happening here with Daniel. No big change for him. As Sue mentioned with the children, kingdoms of men always change. Men are fickle. Women are too, even more. Amen. (laughs) Sometimes I don't like the feminine part of me because of that fickleness to it. Sometimes I like it. Sometimes I don't. (laughs) I liked it yesterday, but I don't today. We just swing, and then there's God, bam, unchanging, right in the middle of it all. And when you seek after God and you love him, you start being like him, and he's just static. He is the same while this happens in our culture. Kingdoms of men come and go, and Daniel looked a lot like God, just as he had done before. He goes home. He gets down on his knees and he prays three times a day. What Daniel was demonstrating in that moment was where his loyalty lies. He was loyal to a kingdom that wasn't on this earth. Church, I really want us to sit inside that for a second. His loyalty just became sacrificial. His loyalty was just about to cost him something. 
His loyalty was going to be a little more than an inconvenience at this point. But it had come to the crossroads. Was he going to pray to Darius and save his skin? Or was he going to pray to his God and probably lose it? And we don't get this, American Christians. We don't. We don't. We don't get this sacrificial, costly loyalty to God. Shoot, we think we're giving God something when we show up at church two times a month. That was a lot. That stretched me. I had to give up a soccer game, and I had to give up a show I wanted to watch and my golf thing. That's sacrificial to us. I don't know what American Christianity is trying to become, but that ain't it. That is not it. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross every day and die. Those are his words, not mine. I think by that statement, take up your cross daily and die, I think he's trying to indicate that Christianity might have a little bit of sacrifice in it. I don't know, call me crazy. But he didn't say, take up your lounge, lounge chair and, and take a break. He was very specific when he said, take up your cross every day. I wish you could do it once, don't you? Don't you just think, don't you wish you could just die once and be over with it? Oh, I did that once. I died when I was 16. It was a really good death. And I'm so glad I don't have to do that again. No, that sun comes up every morning, doesn't it? And then there's your family and your friends and your coworkers and your life and the people that offend you and the difficulty and the hardship. And what kingdom do you belong to? Where is your loyalty? When it becomes sacrificial, you find out, don't you? Isn't it in the sacrificial moments that we discover who we're serving? Because if we won't, then we're not. If we feel the no rising up in our spirit, then we have discovered our God. And Daniel found his on the front porch of his house, on his knees three times a day, crying out to the king of his heart, where his kingdom lies, was with God, eternal. And I don't know what Daniel thought was going to happen. I don't know. We don't get those details. I don't know if he was praying God would save him. I don't know what the context of his prayers were, but I just know he was praying to his God, the, the God of all gods. And I think we should let that part of the story shake us and agitate us. It should make us uncomfortable. It should get up in there. It's, it should cut us. The word is a sword, and if we've stopped letting it cut us, I don't know what we've done. We've become numb. But we've got to ask the question, when it becomes sacrificial, where is my loyalty? Changing life as we know it through the love, loyalty, and friendship of Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't welcome, then I'm not going. Jesus can't come in, then I'm not going. Because he's my friend. I'm loyal to him above all the kingdoms of the earth that will always come and go and change with whatever the latest flavor is. So, while Daniel was up there praying, the administrators and satraps were all hiding in the bushes below his house. At least that's the way I picture it in my head. And they're all like with their walkie-talkies going, go in, go in, go in. 
He's going down on his knee and they're all army crawling across the way and they're trying to give signals to each other. And if they had cameras, you know, that's it. They're taking the cameras and they're so pumped and they're high-fiving each other and they're like, we got him. So they're running back into the king's chamber. They bust open the door. King Darius is standing there and they're all coming in like, guess what? Oh, King Darius lived forever. We just saw somebody praying to somebody but you. And Darius is all listening to this like, really? Well, who was it who had the courage to pray to somebody except for me inside of these 30 days? And they give him the evidence right in front of him. They say, it was Daniel. It was Daniel. They said, oh, king, he's still praying three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. Why'd the king care? Just a guy. Why is a king not just distressed, greatly distressed? I think he loved Daniel. And in that moment, it was the oh darn moment. He realized he was a fool. And he had been trapped, and he fell for it because of his pride. He was greatly distressed. And then the scriptures say, he made every effort until sundown to try to save Daniel. He made every effort until sundown to save him. Oh, oh, King Darius, how powerful you are. Look how many people are in submission to you, and yet you can't use your power, all your great power, to save one man. It takes you all day. You try all day, and you don't have enough power to save one man, even your friend, even a man you love and value. You can't save him. How powerful are you now, Darius? I want to tell you, I believe this was the beginning of God's move in the story. And he is taking Darius to the school of small. Go ahead, Darius. Try all day to get yourself out of this mess you made. You try. Darius is wiggling and squirming and working the angles and trying to find the loophole. And he's exhausted. And at the end of the day... The administrators come in and they say, you can't change the law. You signed it. They said, remember this, O king. It cannot be changed. And so the king gives in. He gives the order and they go get Daniel. And I don't know what what that moment was like when the knock on the door came to Daniel's house. And Daniel opens the door and they bind him. And they lead him away. And I don't know how one is thrown into a lion's den, but I imagine it's very uncomfortable to be thrown into anything. He's an older man at this point, nearing the end of his life, humiliated and bound, made weak and thrown. So I imagine that means he had some air time. And I don't know what Daniel's thinking but it is a a moment of incredible helplessness. You want to hear the difference? This is a moment when Daniel had nothing he could do. Nothing. 
Daniel had done everything he could do. This was a moment where he could do nothing but just let gravity take him and let him fall. But this is the moment where God had a lot that he could do. And here's where the story becomes a great big giant story that becomes one of the most famous stories of all the times because this moment when Daniel is bound and he can do nothing but be hurled through the air and be the victim of gravity and lions, but God rolls up his holy arms, bears them, says, now I want you to watch what I can do. And we don't know. We don't know at this point what's happening. But we just watched Daniel helplessly thrown into the lion's den. But the king says the strangest thing. He takes his ring, he signs or punches it into the rock and seals it, which means that they cannot rescue Daniel, they can't open the rock. And then he yells, Oh, Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And he didn't say it in the scriptures, but he might as well have said, because I could not. Oh, Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you, because I could not. There are things that man can do, and there are things that God can do, and Darius was about to get that straight. And then Darius goes home, and he spends a whole night without sleep. He won't eat, and he won't let anybody entertain him. Why? Because he was busy, busy with a wrestling match with God. All night long, Little teeny king power was meeting God power, and they were wrestling it out all night long. I know this is what happened. I don't even have to guess. And I'll show you why in just a second. I believe that night a king got a heart of faith. And he started being sure of what he hoped for and certain of what he couldn't see. And he started getting thirst in his mouth for something he couldn't do. But he thought maybe it could happen. Because what we see the very first thing in the morning, verse 19, it says, At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. Now, I don't know where a lion's den is. But I would imagine that's not the center of town. Like, I don't think that's your plaza. Your little court area where you have your parties is at the lion's den. I would imagine you'd put that puppy on the outskirts of town, right? Would you imagine with me? So, and I would imagine that the king's palace was probably more in the middle of things. I don't know, but it seems like that's typically the way you do a kingdom is it's kind of in the middle of things. And I also don't know how a king hurries. But it says he hurried. So I don't think it was a very like regal walk. I am going to the lion's den. I don't know if a king is allowed to run, but if he was allowed to run, I'm thinking he's running. Or if he gets the whole bunch of chariots, if all the escorts have to come with him when a king hurries, I would imagine so. I don't know if it's a, but I think it's a ruckus. Early in the morning, the king, the first light of dawn, has to go to the lion's den. And I bet that went all the way through town. And you hear him, and I don't know if he's like, 
you know, and his like capes running in the back and his crowns falling off. I don't know how a king hurries. Or if it's all the chariots and and I also don't know what happens in a kingdom early in the morning. I don't know if people are out, you know, working in the garden, getting the newspaper, taking the dog out. I don't know what's happening, but I bet it was a sight to see the king running by. Where's he going? And I, I think, I really believe the king looked like a madman at this point. I think his eyes are just like filled with craziness and he can't stand it anymore and he's going as fast as he can to the edge of the lion's den and then he just does the stupidest thing. He acts like a complete fool. He shouts out these words, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you? That is crazy talk. People are starting to get worried about the king. They're starting to talk about medications they're going to need to put him on. He's crying out to a man that's been in the lion's den all night long. He thinks he might be alive. He asked him a question, and people are coming near him to, you know, Darius, Daniel died about 12 hours ago. Remember? Remember the whole. But he won't hear it. He won't hear it. Daniel! Are you alive? Did God rescue you? And now everybody that's there is about to fall down on their little bottoms because they're going to hear a dead man shout out, as a matter of fact, he did. Oh, King Darius. That's, and this, I mean, he doesn't say as a matter of fact, but he does say this. I don't know what he said, but this is how it's interpreted. Oh, King, live forever. Ha! Oh, King, live forever. That's all he had to say. And Darius' heart would have exploded. But Daniel's like, it's the craziest thing. My God sent an angel last night. And he shut the mouths of all these lions. They've not hurt me. Because I was found innocent in his sight. And king, I've never done anything wrong to you. And the king was overjoyed. He made the king so happy. Why? I believe it's because he loved Daniel. He loved that man. He was so happy he wasn't dead. And I believe that he was sure of what he hoped for and certain of what he could not see. And he got to see faith come alive. Faith come to action. And Daniel was lifted out of the lion's den. At the king's command, the man who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. Sorry about that. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language throughout the land, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God who endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Because Daniel did what he could do, God was able to do what he could do. Daniel lived his life for the fame of God. He lived his life so that God could be famous. God kept interrupting all these foreign kings, whether it was Nebuchadnezzar and the 
fiery furnace, whether it was Belshazzar, his son, when God interrupted the party by sending his hand in to write on the wall. That's a funny story, too. Or whether it was Darius shutting the mouths of the lions. Church, all God wants us to do is what we can do so we can open a door for him to come in and be very famous. Didn't Jesus say that? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it up on its stand so that it can give light to everyone in the house. And when they, the world, sees your good deeds, like Daniel, they will praise your Father in heaven. They will thank God for you. So we do what we can do. And we pray for God to be famous. And I think as we move into worship now, we're going to rise inside this prayer. Do we want Jesus to be famous? No, I mean, really. Does it matter? Do we care? Does it keep us up at night? Does it cost us something? I don't know why that happened. But it's a good question. Do we want Jesus to be famous? Not infamous. He's already infamous. And in our town, he's considered one of many gods, but that isn't what he said, that he was himself. He said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no man could come to the Father except through him. Is that okay with us? Do we also believe that? Do we want him to be lifted high and exalted? We sing songs like we do in here. But I guess the question I, I, I want us to wrestle with as we worship and sing these prayers is, is that the passion of our heart even when it come, becomes sacrificial? Do we want Jesus to be famous? I do. I do because Jesus does everything perfectly. And when he gets put in the place of Lord, at, which is his rightful place, everything comes into line underneath him. That's why I like it when he's King of kings and Lord of lords, which he is. But I like it when a life looks like he is and a family looks like he is and a church looks like he is and wow, a city looks like he is calling the shots. Everything comes into order. So we're going to rise up inside this. You may stand. Nate is going to lead us in some worship. And I want to invite you to continue to wrestle with that question in your heart of loyalty and the fame of Christ.